0: All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers. That <laughs> came out funny on process <laughs> and practice. <laughs> Hello, everyone. The I accent is on the
1: W. Co- <laughs>
0: <laughs> Strangely, it was. That's what happens when you have three cups of coffee. Go to work. Um, yeah, I'm Sasha Wolf. I've got to own this mess. Um, <laughs> recording from Woodstock, New York, where it is sunny and breezy and the snow is melting and turning to slush, but that's Okay. And I'm joined by that guy that you already heard, that kind and lovely and sensitive guy, my friend, my <laughs> take a compliment, my friend. I agree. Good. Excellent. Good. You see, that's a lesson in learning how to take a compliment. I'm showing Mr. Growth. Michael Joven Ch- Ch- Dalton, everyone. There Hello. he is. Hello. <laughs> how are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Yep, S- uh,
1: sit in my office. You know, getting ready to teach, and uh, yeah, things are uh, going all right. Everyone's healthy at home. Okay, yeah. <laughs> right on.
0: Not here, but oh, um, the COVID yeah. goes on. But <sighs> um, wow. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Let's get to the episode. I don't think we have any announcements, do we? I don't think so.
1: No, I don't. I think, uh, yeah, I think we're good to go. Yeah.
0: There's something um, really neat that came up in this episode that I think we might add as a forum. Yes. Question that I think will be really fun. So if folks want to check out the forum page on the website, like to get get you guys more involved.
1: I think after you listen to this episode, there's going to be a a fantastic quote by John Gossage. And that got us thinking, you know, not only um, would it be interesting to see how other people respond to this sort of life lesson idea, but maybe they've heard others as well from great mentors or people who have really influenced Mm -hmm. them. And that might be interesting to hear as well.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: But we're not going to give it away.
0: Yeah, we're not giving it away. But we were both really taken by it. So the guest for today's episode is the photographer, teacher, writer, philosopher, Tim <laughs> philosopher, <laughs> oh, philosopher extraordinaire, Tim Carpenter. Yes. And um, he was talking to the great John Gossage, and John said something to him that was very meaningful, had an impact on his photographic practice. And it's just really fantastic. So that's what we're talking yeah. about, it's we're alluding to. So um, we're not going to tell you what it is. Uh, <laughs> Tim was a great guest. Uh, the episode mm-hmm. is definitely, there's a lot of process in it. And the process that's in it is really fascinating. You Absolutely. and I both were really taken with a couple of things that Tim talked about that were really new. Um, we haven't heard before and... That's always exciting. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Of course, you're you're talking about his uh, book. To photograph is to learn how to die, and Tim spoke about photography in ways that I honestly had never thought of before. Yeah. Uh, in particular, there was this moment where he talks about doing away with subject matter, and it's it's not even maybe how you think that's going to be. Let's let me put it that way. It was yeah. so no, no. Interesting. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's really yeah. really fantastic. So Tim is in some ways he reminded me the most of Todd Heido in the sense that Mm. just so bursting with thoughts and ideas. I don't have to say too much. I mean, it was like sort of like a recording where I was on vacation, but I was actually there. Um, So
1: (laughs) (laughs) Definitely stream of consciousness and a lot of of great ideas. Yes.
0: (laughs) The perfect guest, in my opinion. Um, So jaunty i think i used the word jaunty to describe todd's episode and this is a very Mm -hmm. jaunty episode as well and packed with nuggets and really interesting stuff so let's get to it man i I really loved it and i thank tim hugely for being so generous with his incredible brain so yeah if you don't mind michael let's let's get to it please take it away
1: my pleasure and here is your conversation with tim carpenter
0: Tim Carpenter. Welcome to the Photo Work Podcast. It's great to have you on. I delayed us a week because I, I had to go into exile. Aunt and uncle got COVID. And so I left um, because I haven't had it yet. And they hadn't had it yet. We were three of the last holdouts. But I'm back upstate and we've rescheduled. And anyway, it's so it's so great to talk with you. And thanks for being so flexible.
2: Oh, my pleasure. And I'm, I'm glad to be with you.
0: So we start every podcast, as you know, with uh, the guest's journey to where they are today. So if you could tell us about yourself, that would be great.
2: Sure. Well, my photography life, uh, I always say I'm kind of a late bloomer. I was actually a late bloomer for almost everything in my life. But I was actually late 20s. I was in Portland, Oregon, and I somehow landed a job at the Portland Art Museum, uh, doing the marketing communications, and that was really great because I got access to the curators to do like the newsletter and all the, all the kind of member communications. And um, there was a guy named Terry Todemeyer there who's sort of a Northwest legend. As a photographer and as a curator, it's funny, though, that Portland Art Museum, back then, it wasn't even a full-time position. They didn't have funding for full-time. And so Terry had uh, had the position, and he was super nice to me in that, like, you know, after I got to meet him a little bit, I was like, hey, can I show you a few pictures? Because I was just, you know, kind of dabbling back then. And he saw them and he's like, you know what, I think you might like Robert Adams. We have a few in our collection. And uh, I think, yeah, you know, um, we got, I get that. we've got some Stephen Shore. And then, but he also had even Cindy Sherman and he had other things that I, you know, had no idea about. And then suddenly I'm like, okay, this is where I think I want to be. So, you know, I, then he, he just let me see prints, you know, and he showed me books and just the the, the best guy. And, um also through that job, though, there was a company called Acoustiguide in New York City. They were the vendor for, back then it was even cassettes and they were moving to digital. But, you know, like the museum would have, you know, a walkthrough of any major exhibition. You'd put the cassette on and it would lead you through. So they were my vendor. And the creative director there, she and I hit it off. She would also be coming out to Portland to do these things. And she's like, hey, do you want to, what do you think about moving to New York and doing this with me? You know, like writing these things. And, and you can help with the marketing because we have, we need some of that too. And I was like, you know, I was 30. And I said, you know, like somebody's going to pay me to move to New York and I'll have a job waiting. I was like, this sounds insane not yeah, to do sweet. it. Yeah, pretty sweet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that brought me to an, uh, Acoustic Guide and where I was like working, you know, with uh, MoMA, the Whitney, the Guggenheim, the Met. I was going like, you know, in the days before the public opening, it's like a final walkthrough. I was seeing all this stuff with the curators alone. I was working with a guy named John Elderfield at MoMA occasionally, you know, like one of the smartest guys I've ever met, used to be the chief curator. So it was like all these brilliant kind of things. And I was seeing a lot, obviously, more photography, more art and everything like that. And I started like just making a lot more serious pictures. And But the real, like the one of the bigger other development developmental thing kind of for me was, um, I was starting to do some classes at like ICP, you know, that made sense. And, uh, in 2008, early 2008, I took a, a personal vision course and it was with a guy called Robert Lyons. And it was one of those like two weekends, you know, so like you do crits and you maybe even shoot during the week and then, you know, some more crits and talk through some things. And he kind of took me aside and he said, in a few years, I'm going to have, I'm starting an MFA program at the University of Hartford. And he's like, I think you might be perfect for it but at this time like i was like a full time employee at a marketing, an mm-hmm. advertising marketing agency in New York, I was a, I was you had ma- stability, yeah, stability. I was management. You know, I was getting bonuses and like I was like, you know, this is my life. And, <laughs> and I, you know, my first, you know, thing was, well, no, I can't go away for a couple of years. And he's like, well, it's you know, it's going to be a limited residency. You don't have to disappear, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, you know, I, I, and f- also, you know, I'd been to law school back in Portland, Oregon, and that's why I moved there. And I was finally out of debt. And I was like, does this sound crazy? I don't know. You know, go back to more school. But he just kept calling like, every, you know, once a month or every six weeks. And he would said, hey, I had a Doug Dubois, you know, to, to the faculty. And Mary Fry has agreed, you know, she was already part of Hartford. She's agreed to be part of this. And then <laughs> he's like, I got Alex Soth. And I'm like, you know, this is you, you're, wearing, you're wearing me down pretty good here, uh, Robert. And uh, so then, you know, one day I know it. I, I remember this so clearly. I just remember waking up and looking at the ceiling as like, if I don't do this, I'm just going to regret this. The whole rest of my life, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't even that I, you know, like I didn't want to teach. That was not why I wanted to get it. I just wanted to see if I could do something better than I was doing, and I and I was also really open to the, the thought that it's okay if this does not lead to anything more. At least I'll know, you know, mm-hmm. and then I can go back to marketing and you know and doing that thing, and that'll be fine. And also the limited residency thing, I kind of learned as I got into it. The kind of work that I do is—it's like business strategy. It's really boring. It's—it's it's digital channel strategy specifically. And what it means is you can plug in and out of things pretty easily. It's not like you have to be there like, like account people in, a, in an advertising agency. They have to be like a really consistent presence for a client. I don't. So what I learned is I could I could freelance when I wasn't in the class sessions, and that gave me a huge you know degree of flexibility, you know, to make what I wanted to make, but also uh, support myself and. I think one of the really brilliant things about the Hartford MFA is with this limited residency thing, you know, there was a base in Hartford and they had great facilities and everything, but we would move around to some of the important photography cities in the world. So there were sessions in New York, Berlin, San Francisco, other classes have had like Tokyo, some other places. So you get to meet gallerists and curators and and photographers and painters and you find out how many different ways there are to make a living And to do what you want to do, you know, like it's Mm -hmm. not, you do not have to be super famous and sell prints, you know, like that's one way you could teach Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's all these Mm -hmm. other ways. And what I learned though, is like during this time, I could, you know, work as much as I wanted to, and then pour that money into the film and the cameras and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like after I graduated, I was like, I'm not going back to full time. I'm just going to see if this keeps going. So I graduated in 2012. Ever since I've freelanced and um, that's been, you know, just enough to make it through to keep financing what I want to do. The other really just really lucky thing, you know, having when I was living in New York, even though the Hartford students were sort of dispersed uh, all across the country and the world, even there were four of us who lived in New York city at the time. And we, um, we kind of, you know, became a little collective because we could meet, you know, even when obviously everything else was online, we were meeting in person and looking through contact sheets and doing this all. And and, um, so with, uh, with Nelson Chan and Carl Woolley, I started a publishing company called TIS books. And so you know, we we published. It. Well, they're still publishing, and I have. I'm not part of the business anymore. I still do a lot of work with them on it. But what I learned, you know, I got to see this whole thing from the the aspect of the publisher and working with people like John Gossage and Justine Curland and Steve Smith. And some really amazing people. And so that also kind of like, you know, just seeing how they did things and how they went about their business was like also really important to me. So that, you know, and then I, you know, I was obviously trying to get my own work out there. And then the, you know, the other, the really big break for me was publishing a, a book called Local Objects uh, with the ice plant. And I, I basically worked with the ice plant ever since then. That's Trisha Gabriel and Mike Slack. Uh, they they run that. So they've done my, my main photo books and they, they did the book-length essay that I uh, just published.
0: Yeah, which is amazing, and we'll get to that. Cool. So
2: why didn't you publish with TIS? Well, I have done a couple things with TIS. Uh, and that right. one, the first one was a big collaboration with uh, Raymond Meeks and with Adriana Alt, uh, and then Brad Zeller contributed some writing. And then there are have been like three different sets. We call, They were called TIS 01, 02, and 03 that were group sets. You know, the one thing I think when we were starting out is we like well it's part of it's part of a DIY thing let's let's do let's get our stuff out there in these kind of group collections and do the things by these other artists that we really love but i think when we were at first we didn't want to do our own monographs because we thought that was too right. close to self publishing and so you know yeah. right and you know now i think tis could publish any of the owners and you know it's it's been around you know for a long time and so there there probably wouldn't be that feeling anymore but I think that was the, the way the ratio we, would be better. Yeah, as far exactly. As, and you're fitting right. <laughs> you're fitting into a bigger catalog, you know, like that, uh, right, a broader catalog, I mean, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, I think just at the time, you know, and I, you know, we were all kind of, sh- you know, shopping our maquettes around, and I just I got really lucky because uh, Ron Jude liked it, and he was longtime friends with with Mike and Trisha. and so he he got the maquette to them, and um, yeah, and then they decided to make it so. That's the way that happened. And what are you doing now? How are you putting it all together? Same old. The pattern is working, I got to tell you. So, uh, you know, I'm, I still work when I'm in New York City, in Brooklyn, I, uh, I work uh, for advertising agencies. Um, I've been working, fortunately, with the same one for a relatively long period of time now, so it's pretty comfortable. My, my pattern is, and this was established in, in grad school, is that I go to uh, Illinois where I'm from, the cameras, the film, all stay there. My parents are very kind about the downstairs fridge, where you know where the, the beer and the meat stay. Mm-hmm. That also has all my film, <laughs> uh, and you know they've given you a corner. They have, and um, it's not actually the house. It's not the house I grew up in because my dad was in the air force and we moved around a bit. But there, I do have my own room uh, in the basement, uh, which is fine because it also has a very dark closet where I can change sheet film uh, with no problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's got everything <laughs> I need, and also I just I looking on the bright side of being yeah. in the basement. <laughs> exactly. you know, But the great thing is I go there for two to three week periods, like I said, five or six times a year. And that's where I do, you know, I photograph and I do a lot of the writing as well. But it's a really great pattern because... I don't feel very much pressure, you know, to, I'm like, uh, you know, I don't have just a few days to make pictures. And if the weather's bad or if there's stuff going on with my nieces right, and nephews, right, like, right. you know, it's really flexible. And I can, you know, drive around with my dad, like, cause he, he takes pictures of trains and we drive around or I walk around with my nieces and nephews. And like, it's just a really amenable way for me to be very comfortable and have no pressure and, you know, shoot 80 rolls and come back with 50 sheets or whatever, you know, and, and now I've started using a little digital too. So, you know, thousands of files or whatever, but so that's the pattern And it's working out really well You know I'm Actually even I'm working on Writing a second book Strangely enough So um, that's wow. That's a big part Of what I'm doing right now too You also work at Penumbra Foundation That's right Yeah um, That's been a really Amazing part of my life I have to tell you It's now. So yeah tell people about
0: Penumbra Because it's really a, Yeah An amazing Well place.
2: Penumbra I mean I, I The thing is I shouldn't be the guy Who pitches the whole thing Because I don't even know Like all the breadth Of the classes they do But they really are steeped In like a lot of old processes And they have an amazing library mm-hmm. they have just a, a wealth of classes you know not a, a lot of really great technical classes about you know different different processes but also like vision classes but my main involvement with it has been like, four years ago now uh Jenya she um kind of created what we, we call the long-term program so it's a year-long mm-hmm. really book-focused program and i'm on the faculty of that so, like I said, it's, we're in our fourth year now. We've had amazing groups of students, and really, we, we kind of joke it's like a compressed MFA in a way. Mm-hmm. But Jenny has really set it up where there's amazing roster of kind of guest artists who come in, and they have challenging sort of assignments for the students. Mm-hmm. Raymond Meeks has been doing it. Terry Weifenbach, um, you know, people like that level, and like Adam Meeks, who's Ray's son, he's a filmmaker, and he tries to impose or you know impart some kind of filmmaking lessons, uh, you know, on the students mm-hmm. and, and help them understand that. So we come from a lot of different ways. Brad Zeller also does a class, you know, where he's coming from the writing perspective. So it's year long. We have, you know, we have a lot of one-on-ones. We have group critiques. Uh, Like I said, a lot of assignments. And they're really expected at the end to come up with a real, you know, kind of artist book slash maquette, you know, and we don't just look at PDFs, they actually make them and we look at video, you know, they really Mm -hmm. execute the thing. And so I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. And, you know, you know, to work that intensely with students for that long has um, really kind of upped my practice. And also, like, it just kind of kicks my ass all the time and makes me way more inspired to work harder uh, because (laughs) I see... Well, some 22 year old, you know, who's retrofitted a bathroom so that they can be developing film, you know, and just, and they're right. biting in yeah. bulk, you a know, like. Oh my gosh, it's so amazing. Like, I really just, I yeah. vibe off of it so good. So.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's really inspiring. Yeah. I mean, I find, you know, people like you inspiring uh, to me because I do a lot of different things as well. And I think it's not always fully understood the life of, Wanting to have many branches mm-hmm. on your tree and and feeling that they work off each other and that there's a whole sort of um, synchronicity and that can happen and how exciting that can be. But I also think it's not for everyone. I mean, some people really right. need... Sort of a singular focus or or that sort of multitasking, so to speak doesn't doesn't work well for them, so it's it's not for everyone, but i I get your sort of vibe and I, I think it's really neat yeah I, I really appreciate it so I want to talk about your work and I want to talk about the book. Let's talk about your your own personal work sure. your photography a little bit because I think once we start talking about the book, the book is so rich, and there's so much there that I, I think it'll you know, eat up the, the time, but tell me a bit or tell the listeners about your practice and what type of work you're making and what
2: you're exploring. Sure. You know, the easiest way to have to explain it to people, and I do this like when I have artist talks to show pictures, but I can do it without even showing pictures. And it does relate to grad school is that the pictures that got me in, I was shooting uh medium format color uh, like six seven and you know i one of the great things, like my previous full time the last full time job I had, they gave me a sabbatical in t- two thousand and eight because i'd been at the company for a while and so i I did two three three week road trips with my dad, uh one around the southwest and west and one around the northwest and I made a lot of the pictures there that um they got me some uh, got me a few different like in some group gallery shows and got me basically into grad school but I just have to admit now in looking back that, like, I was just sort of ripping off what I knew about Stephen Shore and Sternfeld. And, like, Alec was, you know, obviously big at that time. And so, like, I would come back with, you know, a hundred roles or whatever from somewhere. And in my mind, I'd think, I really hope this picture of that old hotel worked out. And I really think, I hope this picture of that character that I met there, you know, works out. I, I was so, basically, I was so subject matter driven because I... That's what I thought that like was interesting about photography at the time was like subject matter, you know, like and what I was learning or overlearning from, you know, these heroes. And um, the good thing about graduate school for me is like, well, I chose this my project. There was this old abandoned rail line around where my folks live. Uh, my dad, he had even stopped passenger service so long ago that my dad only rode on it a few times as a kid. But it, what it, I decided I was just going to stick to it. And basically, that took away subject matter, other than the fact of the rail line itself. But like, I was just trying to make pictures along a line. And so that kind of just, you know, freed me up to not be worrying so much. And what happened over that, you know, course of a year or two years is that I could bring home 50, 60, 70 rolls, 50 sheets, and I'd had no idea what was on them, you know, other than it would be some trees and you know a path and mm-hmm. some water and all this kind of stuff so like the whole change in me was from like worrying, thinking about subject matter and how i wanted to like execute that to just thinking about how am i going to for- shape the world how am i going to find myself in relation to the world and so that you know like that i have to say is the underpinning of almost everything that i do and you know it's i, I frequently am asked the question is like people say you don't take pictures anywhere other than you know like those few counties around you and i was like no and they're like don't you get bored and i was like not yet you know mm-hmm. because for me like What I've learned is that if I can go walk the same streets and drive around the same roads and, you know, there's so much going on inside of us, obviously, you know, like, and there's, and there's so much going on outside of us, you know, all I'm trying to do is like kind of like keep those two poles, you know, in some sort of view and sort of gauge the distance between them. And what I found is that if I can kind of calm down that external, you know, like you're not calming it down entirely, obviously seasons change, even the light in the day changes. But if you're not, if I'm kind of looking at the same thing over and over and over, then that calms down a little bit. Also, I get more sensitive to small changes in it. But also, then uh, I kind of get to look back on myself more and think about, okay, what's changing in me? What have I gained and lost? You know, what what's how my bigger person? How my smaller person? You know, what's going on for me? So that's like that kind of underpins everything I do. And really, the way that I work, I part of this whole package is that I. I I see this so much like in MFA students and undergrad students, they kind of have to come up with a project and sort of execute it. And I, mm-hmm. I can't do that. I just have to photograph a lot and then kind of look at it, like, you know, look at the contact sheets and kind of make some PDFs or whatever and look at it and be like, okay, maybe there's an idea coming out of here. Uh, and it may have a little bit to do with the subject matter. It may have more to do with the form. It may have to do with the light. You know, like I'll see an idea and I'll think, okay, well, this might be something fun to explore. The other thing is like sometimes because I usually shoot uh, handheld generally and then I'll find an idea where I like, oh, I need this needs to be my four by five on a tripod. You know, like so that's another mm-hmm. way, you know, so so it's basically just kind of exploring, kind of following, you know, whatever, whatever I'm thinking of um, shooting very generously and not like, you know, editing myself that way. But then kind of really being putting the pressure on it, you know afterwards to say, well, where are some things coming out of this that I, that might be worth pursuing? And that's how kind of really each book has come around is that I'll just start to see an idea, start to see something about a distance from a thing, start to see something about the quality of the light um, or whatever. And then maybe that starts to be a PDF and maybe it starts to be a book. And then I show it to some friends and, you know, I see what's going on. And then I show it to Mike and Tricia and they, you know, they say, yeah, I think something's going on here. So, that's kind of a roundabout way, you know, not talking about any specific project, but that's kind of how I um, how I approach the whole thing.
0: So you're not even thinking about form. You're not even thinking about giving form to something that doesn't have an obvious main subject. Not until you're... later.
2: Not until I get really down to the right. brass tacks of the book. Right. Right. I, I think, you know, the thing is for me is just let it, you know, as organically or whatever as it can, it can happen is just to see what's what's happening. And because... I do think if I thought too much about specific formal aspects of it, it's funny, you know, like the way for me to say form is my primary concern, but also say I'm not hung up on it when I'm out there and being interested because like the funny thing I learned um, with local objects is that, you know, it's going to sound like a very obvious and very dumb thing to say, but if you just strictly point your camera, you know, straight at the world and no, you know, don't raise or lower it, you're going to get a lot of foreground. That's dead space. And, mm-hmm. you know, at first that kind of picture doesn't look so appealing, but I kind of like, I was like, well, why do I keep doing it? You know, like I, mm-hmm. I, I'm telling myself something about this and I'm telling myself about an, like an emotional displacement and, a, and a, that, that's manifesting as a physical displacement. And then I started to like them. And, you know, then the other thing is that way on, early on, I was at this event where, where John Gossage was and he very kindly looked at the maquette and He's he's like I like what's going on here. So that was like the hugest boost of confidence that like maybe maybe <laughs> this isn't insane to like have a lot of pictures like this. You know oh,
0: that's so helpful. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah.
2: amazing. Yeah. Do I want to tell you just because like I love saying this is like the one thing that John said as we kind of like wrapping up. He's like, here's my piece of advice. I want you to be even more unreasonable. And that I think it's some for some people that can sound hmm. like a really amorphous thing. Like it made such perfect sense to me. It's like. Mm-hmm. You know, do not follow you know, whatever rules you have established. And it was just like a huge, huge piece of advice to me that like, I, you know, I stick with all the time. But um, but anyway, back to that is like, you know, then you you start to see some things, like I said, in the work. And like, okay, not every picture in that book is like has a, has that foreground. But like, you know, that's the dominant feature to it. And then, you know, like, again, mentioning form. It's like I showed like there was oh, this was probably when there was like a couple hundred pictures or more. I showed it to Brad Zeller. And he was really good with it. And he's, you know, he's, he showed me a couple of pictures. He's like, I'm, he wasn't as into, but it wasn't about that. He said, this is like a thousand lonely walks home for me when I was 14. And mm-hmm. that idea, that... That's very moving. Right. Yeah. And it crystallized things too, because, okay, it, it actually gives mm-hmm. you, you know, like I really, I hung on to this because I was like, okay, well, so lonely walks home from school. That means rep, that means some repetitions, right? You're, you're going to walk the same mm-hmm. way. It means throughout seasons you know, it means some things. And that kind of actually triggered because I had the pictures to do it. It actually triggered how the book is structured formally uh, in repetitions, because there are there are some uh, repetitions, which I call spatial, which are the same, you can see the same subject matter. And then there's repetitions that are temporal, where you actually kind of like, you see just you've moved five seconds, you know, through the landscape. So uh, and thing, but things change, but you see them, you see how they, they change. So anyway, this idea, which seems like just the kernel of an idea was everything for me, you know, like, and and then suddenly, formally, it all kind of made sense around there. And I'd say, like, in one way or another, it's probably been something similar to that, that how, you know, the rest of the books have crystallized around just a quick idea that kind of makes sense for pictures that are, you know, sometimes they're almost all made, sometimes I'm maybe only halfway through it. And then I kind of work work towards finishing that. But at at least at some point in there, I kind of got to get a hold of something.
0: So let's just focus for a few minutes on your
2: is Christmas Day, Bucks Pond Road your most recent? That's the most recent monograph. Yeah, I've done a couple yeah. of smaller things since then. Yeah.
0: Right. Let's, let's talk about that because sure. it's a beautiful and it's just so quiet and it's so clearly your work. Oh, thank you. Tell people about that project.
2: Yeah. Well, again, like this is something, you know, like it has to all be, for me, it has to all be kind of figured out in retrospect. Right. And I, I wrote a little bit about this in the book, but like there was a time in my life That I wasn't, I I don't have to say I was unhappy, but I was like discombobulated somehow. And I I wrote about this. I feel that way often. Yeah, no, I think, well, (laughs) you know, like, let me just back up a second. I, you know, I I tell this to every student is like, we're all broken. We're broken in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I would really love to figure out. And I think that art and photography are the ways that we kind of piece it together we don't solve it but we piece Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and I was like I would really love to know about your brokenness you know like and anyway so you know this was a specific kind of brokenness like I I wrote in the books uh, someone had left I didn't realize I didn't want him to leave and I kind of felt like I felt bad about the loss but also felt mad at myself for like not managing the loss if it makes any sense Mm -hmm. I know we can't manage our losses Mm -hmm. but you know you still felt this way the thing is for like eight months a year like I was just making pictures that I was just like, I kept looking at them. It was like, maybe these are too unreasonable in the Gossage sense. So I was like, the, the distances in them are weird. You know, like the blobs in them are weird. Like the, everything is just off, you know, like, but I was like, well, I, I don't know what else to do. I just got to keep, you know, keep shooting through this. I don't know what else to do. And like I said, I wasn't miserable, but like, you know, I wasn't, I just wasn't matching what was in my head or my heart to pictures. But so then, you know. I got a little bit of distance from that time. I kind of, you know, maybe kind of came out of a little bit and I was looking back at the contact sheets and I was making these PDFs and I was thinking, you know, maybe there's something to be made out of this period of time and, you know, those several months. And then I kind of focused in on, it was like, there was I. I went back and counted. There were 14 rolls that I shot on a single walk. Mm-hmm. So Bucks Pond Road is this is this road out in the country. My sister has a house off of it. My I guess two generations, three generations ago, we owned most of the farmland around it, but they got sold off in various parcels. But anyway, it's kind of you know like mm-hmm. has a little bit of history for us. It's just a, just a road, and uh, you know I walked it. I, I surprisingly I shot that much film in about 90 minutes, and then I thought, well, you know maybe maybe the book is in there. Right. You know, I'm I'm not sure. And I have to tell you, like, I've had several different people when I do like class talks or stuff, they're like, but wait, you know, you you set out to make a book in one day. And I was like, no, <laughs> I did not think <laughs> that morning that I'd made a book. I did not think later after I got back home that I'd made a book. I did not think a year after that I'd made a book, you know, like, no, uh, it just sort of emerged that that could be the thing from this time and and that it would be all that that one thing. So anyway, again, you know, start to mess around with doing a PDF. I made a couple maquettes, you know, and basically it's sequenced as shot with changing a picture or two around in its order to kind of like just, you know, to make it a little bit more coherent, I think. You know, the, the thing is, again, like looking back on it, I realized there there's a few sort of formal patterns. There's patterns in the trees, patterns in the ground that like I was like, oh, wow. You know, I, I didn't those didn't register at the time. But those can be kind of grounding points for the book. They can be, you know, like places that, that people kind of make some sense of. Also, I would add the
0: if you don't mind, I yeah. would add the clouds above the horizon line. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pictures where the, the clouds right above the horizon line are sort of semi solid. And then there's a. Break with some light coming in. Right. Yeah. And then clouds above that. So that feels like not necessarily a device, but certainly an organizing principle. I I don't know if you agree with that, but that's something I noticed
2: right away. Listen, my students are going to love hearing you say that because I talk about organizing principles all the time. uh, (laughs) Oh, good. uh, Home run. (laughs) Well, the thing is, like, they're mostly invisible to the audience. You know, like after repeated viewings, you're kind of going to get them, you know, like. But, you know, when I'm right. working with students, I'm working under the hood. We're trying to figure out what are, you know, like classical music, you couldn't listen to a whole symphony without some organizing principles in there. You know, like the the, the theme, mm-hmm. the repetition, all these kind of stuff. These are very important to the way we experience a book or anything that we want to have something experienced Absolute, in right. time. So I am not embarrassed or ashamed about talking about organizing principles or structures or all this kind of stuff because they have to happen. I don't think they should happen while you're shooting. You shouldn't be worried about that. They're, they're, the, they're the reflective sort of conscious thing that happens later when you're making the book, of course. But you When know,
0: you work the way you work.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. exactly my way. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. You know, so I was, you know, figuring out that this was, I thought this was pretty cool. I'm going to bring up Gossage again because he saw a mech of it. And he said, you know, the only, he's like, this is great. The only thing I'm just not so into is when there's a single picture on the left-hand side of a spread. Because he's like, it looks like you're looking backwards. And I didn't tell him this at the time, but I was like, "Oh my God, that is a perfect thing." Because my protagonist, me, is constantly second guessing himself. He's always looking mm-hmm. back over his shoulder. <laughs> He's not finding you know, like nothing in the landscape is like is grounding for him, you know, for this person. Mm-hmm. And and it's always this constant second guessing or hoping that some, there's something around the bend that's going to fix things, you know, like that's going to be the wholeness that I that you want. And it, but it never is. So you you glom onto one kind of thing. Uh nothing there. You can glom onto another thing and you just keep going, you know. <laughs> and even at the end of the book, you kinda there's a view of a house, but it's kind of away. And then and then that kind of dissipates and you kind of go back to the road. And actually I'll tell you, collaborating or, or showing other, you know, really trusted friends your work is so important because Jenya for them yes, and, I agree. Yeah. Jenya, she looked at them I kept with me. She was really, you know, a strong presence in, in the making of this. And the last picture had originally been one that kind of resolved more to the road and kind of was open. And I would say, let's say I call it a pleasant picture. And is like, nah, She's like no, and like <laughs> she wanted the previous picture, which was much di- more difficult and just didn't open onto the world. And Eugenia is, you know, of Russian heritage, and I like to call it the Russian ending. It's the really tough ending. It's my, you know, my, my mm-hmm. Dostoevsky ending. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm so glad, no, yeah, I'm so <laughs> glad that she convinced me because I, you know, for that book not to end on like a a hopeful note, but rather just to kind of put you back into the space was um, turned out to be a really important part. I think.
0: Yeah, well, it is so important to have your your group of, of sort of trusted advisors and a big, big proponent of not trying to do everything yourself. And, you know, people just have distance and yeah. it's, yeah, it's really important. All right. So let's talk about this amazing book you wrote. Um, I love so much about it, including the size of it. I can... Basically, put it in my back pocket, exactly. which I love. So it's called To Photograph is to Learn How to Die, mm-hmm. which is, you know, an amazing title. I think it's sold out already. Yeah, the first printing oh, is guys... sold out. We,
2: ha- we just did a second yeah. printing. So we're- there's back in okay, stock. Okay, yep.
0: <laughs> All right. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's super exciting. So why don't you tell people about the book and then we'll talk about it?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's a long essay, uh, kind of in four parts. Basically, well, I'll start with the title. It's basically stolen from Montaigne. There's an essay of his called To Philosophize is to Learn How to Die. And I read it, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like that. And I, I remember you just even reading the title. I was like, well, guess what? To photograph is to learn how to die, Montaigne. I think that's what I think. Like it popped right. And of, of course, mm-hmm. the you know, whatever literary, there must be a literary word for the for photograph and philosophize to you know start with the pH sound. But like, you know, it just popped in my mm-hmm. head. <laughs> and then I read the essay. It's one of his shorter ones. And it's just basically, you know, it's like, well, you know, philosophizing is just sort of being objective about all your subjectivity. It's kind of getting outside of yourself and like, and it just calms you down. You know, you can stop being so worried about everything and not be afraid of dying you know uh, but but just kind of calming down and so i, I really like this idea and but but then i thought the problem for me is i got i got to reverse engineer this I, you know i've got, got my conclusion sort of but like now i got to i got to support this mm-hmm. thing right mm-hmm. So basically, the book uh, is in four parts. And the part about photography is not until actually the third section, because in that working back, I basically just, I thought, as I outlined it, and as I started to understand it, the first section is just about that brokenness that I mentioned earlier that we all, you know, feel. Mm-hmm. And just kind of exploring that. And then the second section is like, well, why do some of us, but only some of us, like, decide to make art out of that you know like not everybody does um Mm -hmm. only you know kind of a small subsection of us decide to do something with that to write a song to write a poem you know to do whatever so then that's the second section so then it's like the third section really gets back is, is where we start to talk about photography specifically being, I think, a really uh, important, obviously, it's the most important form of all the art forms to me, even though I love the rest of them. Uh, and what the difference is, what, you know, what, what a camera, what this machine does, uh, different from all the other art forms that I've been talking about. And then the fourth section kind of just brings it back to kind of more like, a, I guess, a holistic sort of, you know, just making peace and making calm and kind of, you know, like, what are potentially some practical effects of the, the effects of working with the camera that I describe. So that's kind of the the overall, you know, the lay of the land. Yeah. What does
0: the camera do that's different, that makes you love it and describe the world, in your opinion, better than other art forms? Yeah,
2: I don't necessarily say bitter, better, I say it's better for me. I say different. Better for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, like sometimes if I had a beer, I'll say better, you know, but like the it's the limitations. I when mean, you're being honest. When I'm being honest, that's right. <laughs> you found the right way for me to say when I'm when I say having a beer, you mean I mean being honest. Um, it's the limitations that uh you know, and this is a big part of the book is talking about the limitations. It's like as much as I love writing and I love drawing and and it, and I love listening to music and all these other kind of things. The poet, the painter is not bound by the world in the same way that the photographer is. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's great. That's our culture. You know, that, that is everything that's valuable to me is the ability, you know, like we can imagine ourselves forward and backward in time and we can imagine ourselves to other places. That's great. Our dear old body with a camera is not able to do any of those things. It is in the here and the now. It, it, and to, to make a different picture, you got to move your feet or you got to you know kneel down or you you know like wait for the light to change like it's the world that that is that's dominating photography and not the the artist dominating the world and that's the really important difference to me because it's like the acceptance that's in there you know sort of the humility that's in there we have a lot of things at our disposal to to make of the world the camera's are really quite a complex machine as I, I, this isn't news to no mm-hmm. one, you know, like, but our ability to, to create relationships that never exa- actually existed in the real world. You know, first of all, we frame it, uh, we flatten it, or we make, we add depth to it. We can even have time in it, depending on, you know, our, our the length of our exposure. Mm-hmm. We can do mm-hmm. a lot to it, but still it, the world is not, you know, going to change for us and it's not going to do what we want. we can't, we can't move a tree. Obviously this is mm-hmm. accepting kind of a lot of digital stuff and all that, but like, you know, in our, in our kind of plain, straightforward, generally film photography the only way to change the relationships is for you to change your body's relationship to the world and and that is just not true of any other medium that's the thing that really interests interests me i think it's just like i in the, i say in the book it just it teaches humility and then strangely enough i the flip side of this that, that comes around from it is i think there's actually a real freedom and that is the freedom of you know not being afraid of dying not being afraid of your limitations that you can actually work so fruitfully within these limitations. And that can kind of get you to calm down in the rest of your life. And that's kind of the conclusion I came to.
0: You also, by the way, let's just describe it a bit more for folks because you're obviously very erudite. You quote a lot of amazing thinkers from Montaigne, as you mentioned, to one of my uh, favorite fellows, um, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Mm -hmm. Um, Wallace Stevens is clearly an important writer for you. I mean, there's, you know, Flannery O'Connor, et cetera, et cetera. What made you want to include so much writing by other people? Yeah, I mean, I I assume, you know, in some ways it's sort of backing up, you use these people to back up your thesis, but in other ways, there's incredible richness to that. Yeah. How how do you think about it? No,
2: right. Thanks for saying that. Because, you know, like, it's funny to use the word researching this because I, I wasn't researching it. I was just kind of reading everything I was reading, you know, and I was keeping notes and everything. But like what I realized and what I'm realizing now as I write a second book is that there's a lot of things that we take in that we assimilate, you know, that, that become part of us. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we're mm-hmm. able to kind of restate them, in fact, make them our own. And and that's, you know, that's the bulk of the book. That's what I've done. But then there's these things that are just Irreducible, you know, uh, just some sort of insight that you, you know, like I'll try to assimilate it, but like it's still, it's still stubbornly itself, you know, and and it doesn't want to give itself up to me. So that's kind of a mirror for like the the form of the book, you know. And Mike Slack got this immediately. He's like, he's like, these quotes are like the things of the world that were that are not going to bend to your your, your desire, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there's a lot that we can take and a lot that we can manipulate and manage. Sure. That's most of the book. But there's still these things that, that, are, that resist. And, you know, I could also use them to contradict what I'd said or, you know, to, to kind of mm-hmm. um, add some other flavor, you know, and, and I'll admit, like, in essays that I'd written before, I'd have, you know, very kind people say, you know, like, well, I'd like fewer quotes. I'd like to know what you think. And, and I would look at them and I'd say, this is what I think. This is, or rather maybe <laughs> right. this is how I think, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, um, I'm sure other brains work differently and I, I hope other brains work differently because I wouldn't wish this upon anyone, but like I grab onto these things. And like I said, you know, like a lot of it, I, I assimilate and it becomes part of me. And then there's these other things that, that I kind of keep as like, as just nuggets, you know, that, that aren't going to, that aren't going to bend to my will. And that I, I kind of want to use them that way. And so. I'm going to tell you, though, in the first draft, there were probably three times as many of those. Uh, but Mike and I got rid of them. You know, like, I, you know, what I also learned is you, you just overwrite, you know, and I think the thing, same thing is true with you over, mm-hmm. you over photograph, right? You make a ton of contact mm-hmm. sheets mm-hmm. and you get, you know, yeah, right? no. yeah,
0: you write the way you photograph. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, you know, you overwrite and then you know, you just then you kind of you just keep peeling back peeling back is you know, is this really do the thing you want it to do, you know, and then then you're just pushing you're putting that sort of objective pressure outside of just subjectively loving what that person said.
0: I almost think of it like corrective epiphanies. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, we could go down the path of Jung or Anyone who's you know talks about collective thinking or consciousness, but to me it's like you have these epiphanies and you talk about them, and then there are these quotes, and it's like, yeah, Wallace Stevens had that epiphany, and Montaigne had that epiphany, and it's almost like reaching certain inevitable conclusions about life that other people have reached at different times, like historically, and. That creates a thread of, I think, sort of mature and honest and rich thinking that I found in reading the book very almost comforting. Does that make sense? Oh, it does.
2: I mean, the comfort is in you know. I, I think I well, I, I wrote about this is like there's comfort in kind of knowing that you're not crazy. You're not in your own bubble of a, of a world that other right. that other That's people. That's what I'm saying. Right, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, like when I first read the. David Foster Wallace essays, like years, years ago in Harper's, I was a little creeped out, but I was like, this guy's, his brain is working in the same way as I, and I don't mean that I'm as Mm -hmm. smart as he is, but like the fracturing of it and the constant backwards and forwards and the footnoting yourself, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I was like, you know, like it just made me feel less strange in my own brain, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that somebody Mm -hmm. else was doing this. And I mentioned this, I think this is the great, I think this is why we respond to photographs is because the maker was in the world with her or his machine like when we see the photograph we're like that person found a purchase a place on the world that made sense and they're showing you Mm -hmm. that occasionally you know like most of our lives is confusing and chaotic but like occasionally occasionally there's this moment of clarity and of cohesion and that's a really remarkable thing and i think the photograph also shows how fleeting it is you know because we know that that was just a, a fraction of a fraction of a second you know but like mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's the the consternating or you know the, the uh the frustratingly beautiful thing about photographs is that you know we just that that moment is so fleeting and so furtive and uh, i think that's why they, we have the people who do love photographs i think that's why we are impacted by them
0: So, what's the next
2: book? Can you
0: can you say anything about
2: it? Uh, Sure. Yeah, Uh, it's. (laughs) I don't know what it is yet. I kind of I do know the arc of it, but it actually pulls off from a couple ideas, Um, strangely enough. And I'm going to get over my head here real quick, so I'm not going to. But I got into like reading about (laughs) literary theory and specifically about language theory um, a couple winters ago. It was like would have been the long COVID winter after I'd first finished the draft of the book, the, the current book. And, um, you know, I've also heard this phrase, people say, you know, photography is a language. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure about that. But yeah, sure, that sounds nice. It's a good metaphor, at least, you know. like. But once I got into language theory, I was like, guess what? No, no, photography has actually some very special things to say about it that, it, that is not part of what we call a sign system or a semiotic system. Like I said, we'll start quickly, get over my head and over, you know, like, so that's one thing I'm going on. And then the other thing is that this idea, which I've already been talking about, is that photography is embodied. Like, it is... A part of us, it walks around with us. You know, even if you use a tripod, it like, and that is kind of a different thing. And so, it's kind of those two avenues, just just kind of exploring them. There's a lot of rich philosophy called phenomenology that um, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like Heidegger into some Sartre, but this guy named Merleau Ponty who I'm really into now, and uh, that you know, they talk a lot about this. And so, it's honestly it's I'm a little bit in the weeds right now um, and you know I got to figure some things out but like it's probably going to be a bit more theoretical than the current book and a bit less personal but mm-hmm. I'm really interested in it now like I'm just reading constantly so it's it's really fun so it'll be a, a, somewhat of an extension you know I want to and on, honestly in this one I want to take on like Bart and Sontag and uh, Berger and like some other people who have kind of been the canon mm-hmm. of what you know of what a lot of uh, when you're a photo theory kid you know you start to get get into so it, it'll be be more in that kind of area boring basically you know the short answer is boring
0: <laughs> no that that this is great are, are you going to um, are you going to rebut some. Barth and Sontag this would be so exciting
2: oh I definitely am going to yeah and uh, the, oh, f- the funny fantastic. thing is you know the thing is like I almost tell now ki- the kids I call everybody younger than me kids and that's now like it's too much of the world but um <laughs> right uh, is you know don't read Camera Lucida read like the two essays that Bart wrote you know because they actually have some really interesting things on it and it's like and don't read on photography like Sontag is so much more interesting in like against interpretation and some other essays and like I actually think that none of them really understood the machine very well, mm-hmm. but they have amazing things to say in other contexts. And so that's kind of where I'm going with it. And, you know, what I've learned is that the, really they all sprung from Benjamin. And um, so, you know, going back to a lot of that source material and, and like seeing what they saw in Benjamin and, and kind of figuring that out, too. But like I said, now I'm down the wormhole, well, right? So
0: No, no. It's, <laughs> uh, it's very exciting. Well, Tim, thank you so much for... Talking with me today and being so generous with your time and your thoughts and your amazing brain, which Uh. is definitely its own Oh and, thank you. Uh, and, and, and yet wonderfully connected to these great historical thinkers and it's all there in the book to photograph is to learn how to die it's it's really an incredible achievement congratulations
2: uh, thank you that's very um, kind of that's kind of you to say i appreciate it i'm still amazed that it exists like uh, you know <laughs> so uh, no you I, did it you gave birth i did yeah somehow
0: so <laughs> We'll have you on after the next book, and um, I'll have to do some serious prep for that one and and make sure I'm at my smartest, but... um, It's going to
2: take a couple, three years for that, so... uh, Okay. (laughs) Unless we have another terrible COVID accident, which uh, that will not happen, right? Um, No. We're back to real life. No, no, no. So, yes. (laughs) Yes, real life.
0: All right, Tim. Thank you so much, and take care of yourself. My pleasure. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.
1: Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin-Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawkes. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform.